I'm saying today about something that we will be doing for the last time today. And I'll make that clear in just a moment, and then I will make it clear why I say what I say. You know, one of the things in me that drives me since I came to Christ in 1985, I've been driven since the moment I came to Him with fullness of heart. I've been driven to grow in Him. I've never been satisfied with wherever I might find myself. Whatever I might have learned about Him, I've never been satisfied with that much. I've always continued to press in. That is the purpose of Holy Spirit, is to really invite us into a deeper place in Him. So on the journey of coming to know Him since 1985, as I walked this out and I began to move in that direction, every time I would learn something of Christ, learn something of what it means to be in relationship with Him, what it means to walk with Him, Scott, whatever that might be, every time I would learn that, I never found that or allowed that place to become a place where I would sit, put a chair, sit down, and say, this is as good as it's going to get. I don't need any more than that. I've never been the person, those of you that know me, those of you that don't, you'll come to know this, but I've never been the person that has ever believed for even one second that this is as good as it gets. I've always been the person... It's in my DNA, it's the way that He created me, and it's always, again, it's just always been in me, that I'm going to press in. I want to go past where I am, I want to know more. I want to know Him deeper, and I want to know Him more intimately. I want to know Him in ways that others dream about. I want to live their dream. Others say, one day I'm going to walk with Him. I want to be the guy walking with him. Some dream of being able to hear his voice. I'm determined to hear his voice. I don't want these things simply to be something I dream about or I have visions of. I want them to be moments that I'm actually living in and walking in. I recognize no matter what I'm doing from day to day, I recognize that God has changed my life in so, such a drastic way from the time that I came to him to where I am now, certainly I'm not a perfected person, but compared to who I was in 1985, it looks like perfection. I hope that's true of you. It looks like it. I'm not perfect. He's still growing me. He's still changing me. I still get mad. I still say things. I have to go back and say, sorry about that. I still make my wife mad and have to go back and say, honey, it's time for you to apologize. No, I'm just kidding. I still do things. I'm still human. That's one thing that never changed about me. When I came to Christ, I didn't become something other than human. Yeah. I just became human with options. <laughs> when I came to Christ, I became man with the opportunity to be redeemed. That's what changed. And when I saw redemption, I didn't see redemption as a one-time thing. That I said to him, Father, forgive me. I repent of my sins. Save my soul. I didn't see that as a one-time event. I saw that as something that was going to happen in me every single day. Amen. And then throughout that journey of coming to know Him and walking with Him every single day, pressing into Him, asking questions, yeah. learning, diving in, getting around people who had a heart like my heart, who wanted to know Him like I did, recognizing that there were some people I needed to stay away from because they didn't desire Him like I desired Him, and because their desires begin to contaminate mine or begin to cause me to look somewhere else or begin to cause me to become deceived 
or begin to cause me to ask questions that were never intended for me to ask. See, when I came to him and I began to move in that place where I wanted to know him, it was a, for me, maybe this isn't true for everyone, but for me, it was a real easy choice when I received him on that Sunday evening, or Monday evening, in July, on July the 8th of 1985, when I accepted Christ on that Monday night, it was a real easy choice for me when I walked out of that church to immediately make decisions and change things in my life. Some of those I changed in my mind. At that time, I made this decision. It wasn't because God said, don't do this. It's because in my mind, I, and I'm just going to use me as an example, your, your examples will be different. But I walked out of that church that night knowing that he had saved me, knowing that he redeemed me. And I immediately began to question and and wonder, and I was 19 years old, and wonder what in me, what about me, what's there, what's present, or I was 20, what's present in me that would not honor God? Even though I didn't really have the depth of that, there was something in me, which I know today was the Spirit of the Lord. But at the time, I couldn't define it. But there was something in me that I know today was the Spirit of the Lord that said, Steve, there's some things about you. I I just want you to begin to shift and and, and address. And I walked out of that building, and I threw away my cigarettes. I didn't drink any more Bartles and James. No more Mad Dog 2020. Those things were gone. I didn't go to New Bronzeville's anymore and fill up one inner tube with me, one inner tube with my cousin, and another inner tube with Bartles and James. We didn't do that anymore. And I just made some decisions and I knew the friends that I hung out with and that I went places with and that I did things with and I immediately began to make some adjustments in my own life. And it wasn't because I didn't like those people. It wasn't because I didn't care about them. It was because I know Steve Parker. And I know that if I take what has come into me and I insert it in what is in them, I'm concerned that what's in me will not outlast what's in them. So it's really important because I'm walking in this thing that I position myself so that I can hear clearly, I can see well, and he can change me into exactly what he wants me to be. Can anyone identify with what I'm talking about right now? So this was a journey that I took, and this was something that I did, and I started, and I moved into, and and then in the church where I was in Houston, Texas, where I got saved, and, and I'd go to church, and then... I don't remember what day it was, but very, very frequently, they did this thing that we call communion. So they would gather, and we would know, and it was a large church, and we would know that on this particular Sunday of every month, communion would be served. So we would go in, and all the pastors and everybody would be, it was a large church, about 900 to 1,000 people, and they would have this, all the stuff sitting out there, and, and just like we do today. And they would be lined up, and I knew that they were going to serve communion, and that we were going to eat a cracker. And we were going to drink some grape juice. And then somehow everybody was going to go home and feel like that somehow they had eaten and drank and drank Jesus Christ. And somehow our lives would be forever changed because we ate a cracker and we drank some juice. And I could not, even at that early point in my life with Christ, I could not get past the point, well, what about Tuesday when I ate oyster crackers with my soup and I drank grape juice just because I like it? Did that do for me on Tuesday what this did for me on Sunday morning? Just walk with me today, okay? Someone might be thinking right now, well, you are making light of what communion is. I'm actually going to take the lightness of what communion has become and help you understand the depth of what communion is supposed to be. It isn't a cracker and a cup of juice. 
It is more than that. Somebody say, it is more. It is more. It is more than that. Communion is deeper than what is in these plates and in this, this receptac- these receptacles today. It's more than that. It isn't even about whether or not it's an oyster cracker or it's a grape juice. This thing has become so watered down that we call communion. It's become so watered down. If someone serves wine, someone's offended, someone else isn't. Someone's offended if it's grape juice and not wine. Someone's offended if it's wine and not grape juice. Someone's offended if it's an oyster cracker and not unleavened bread. Someone's offended if it's unleavened bread and not an oyster cracker. So this thing has turned into and become watered down to the point where communion, nowadays, while in our mind it is important in our heart, most people have no idea what it really is. So I want to talk about that today. Can we do that today? And I want to get us moving on a path where we can dive into the deeper things. As I said, when I came to know Christ, and I'm going to try to wrap this up in 30 minutes now, maybe 25 minutes. I'm going to do my very best. um, Forgive me if I don't. Love me if I do or don't. But as I begin to make this journey, what I want you to see and understand today is that what God has for you is deeper. I promise you. I I can make this promise promise and be 100% accurate. What God wants to do for you with 100% accuracy in every single person in this room, your mind has not yet conceived it. You cannot, you have not yet conceived all that the Father wants to show you. And most of us, most unfortunately in Christianity today, most people will never conceive all that the Father wants to do for them because all they ever look at is what has already been presented to them. They can't see past what has already been established. And because the establishment prevents any further digging in, they never get past that point. So most people can walk into a building today with their eyes closed and know exactly what's going to happen on Sunday morning because there's no deep expectation. I hope I'm making sense this morning. So I want to begin with what I was actually going to read at the end, and I'll do it again. But I want to begin this morning. You're going to find it in your notes. If you're following along in the app, it's at the bottom uh, because I wasn't planning to read it now, but I'm going to. It's Luke 22:19, and it says, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said this. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. It's important that you understand what he just said. Say this with me. Say, he said... Who's he? Jesus said, this is my body. Everybody say, he said, this is my body. Thank you. Which is given for you, he said then, he said, do this in remembrance of me. What in the world does that mean? Now in most places today and most, of, most minds today, most people who call themselves believers today, they will focus on that. In fact, you will see that on communion tables in just about any church you go to. At the top of that oak-stained communion table, it will say, do this in remembrance of me. You will see it on their little placards on the side of the wall, depending on the denomination you're going to. It will say, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There's a focus on doing something in remembrance of him, as though... You forget all about him until you do this. That communion somehow is the reminder. Oh, I totally forgot. I'm I'm a believer. 
slipped my mind till I drank this. Are you tracking with me? So he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean, really? What we've taken that to mean is that do this often because we want to remember that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. And that isn't it. If I do communion, like we've always done communion, we're going to do that today, but this is the last time we will ever in the Rock of Central Florida take communion like we're taking, receiving it today. We don't take it, we receive it. This is the last time we will ever receive communion like this in this house. And there's a reason. Because it isn't what he established. This was not his intent. It's really simple. When I tell you what his intent was, you're going to be like, some of you are going to say, you know, I knew that. I just didn't wrap my mind around it. It seems like I almost taught on this a few years ago, but I, I don't remember if it was with the whole house or with just a few people that I was speaking about with this, about this with. But he said, do this in remembrance of me. So what we've taken that as, as the church, is we've taken that from the perspective of, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, so do this often. Because I want you to remember me all the time. I want you to remember that I died on the cross and that I rose from the dead. But remember, he had not done that yet. That had not happened yet. He had not died on the cross. He had not walked down the Via Dolorosa. None of that had happened yet. He hadn't even been betrayed yet when he said this. As often as you have communion, as often as you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I want you to remember this. Not that I died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. I want you to remember this, that I made a way for you. Because before he died on the cross, before he rose from the dead, get this. If you get nothing else, put this in your notes. Before he died on the cross, before he was raised from the dead, before you repented to him, before any of that happened, he had already made a way for you. He said, what I want you to remember is what I'm bringing you out of. What I want you to remember is what true communion really is. So let's dive into what it has become, and let's, let's move through this and, and hopefully get an understanding of this by jumping in right off the bat to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, reads like this. Now, as I read this, this is going to seem so contrary to what we're doing today. Some of you might be hearing what I'm saying and think, oh, man, this is rough. This is, this is uh, just this is everything opposite of what communion is, and yet it's not. See, this is a teaching that Paul is doing about serving idols other than Christ. He's talking to them about idolatry and all the things that get in the way of serving Christ. Talking about all of the things that get in the way of serving Christ, and then I'm going to go ahead and add this parenthesis section in here. All the things that get in the way of serving Christ, all the things that get in the way of true communion. Communion is serving Christ. Amen. Communion is not eating Come on. grape juice or drinking grape juice and eating a cracker. Yeah. 
So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I don't want you to be aware that Moses and Israel, when they were leaving Egypt, miracles happened. That's what he's addressing. Do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Isn't it interesting that Christ was with them even then? They had relationship with Christ, not when he came through the loins or the womb of Mary. Remember, Christ is the anointing of God. Jesus is the man. So Jesus Christ is Jesus, the Son of God. Christ, the Son of God. You got another time. For they all drank from the spiritual rock even then that followed them, and that rock even then was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, even though they passed through the cloud, they passed under the cloud and through the sea, they were baptized into Moses, they ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank even from the spiritual rock that followed them that was Christ, and still most of them, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why were Because they misinterpreted the rock that followed them. They did not really recognize the rock that was following them. They did not really recognize the anointing available to them, the power of God that was present behind them and in front of them and around them. They didn't recognize it. Verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us. And I'm thankful for those. That we might not desire evil like they did. Can I just say this? Let me read 6 again and just say, he said, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I didn't know this scripture when I got saved, but there was something about this scripture that came alive in me, just like I mentioned a moment ago, when I did get saved, or when I started my journey of salvation. That happens every day. I'm getting saved every day, more and more every day, more and more every day. I came to Christ on July the 8th, 1985, and I've been coming more into him ever since. I've been being, I'm baptized more into him every single day. But this little verse right here, he says, so that we might might not desire evil as they did. Even my hunger for him, one of the reasons that I begin to separate those things, couldn't explain it, didn't understand it, but I know one of the reasons he began to show me, Steve, separate yourself from these and these and these, because you are not, you are, you get around, you bring me into those situations, you're going to desire things that aren't accounted to you. Watch where you're going, Steve. Keep your head up and your eyes open because I'm showing you something. Count me as this. I'm a flashlight lighting your way. And when I reveal something to you that's outside of my purpose, go left or right. But I'll prepare another way. Now, these things took place as examples for us so that we might not desire evil like they did, even while they were eating and drinking in him. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, 
to them, it was an example for you. Written down on whom the end um, end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, none of us are dealing with anything today that they did not deal with as they crossed the Red Sea. None of them. I just said to somebody the other day, I'm not sure who it was. I think it was my wife and I when we were doing our walk. And and she mentioned or whoever, somebody mentioned, and they talked about where we're at in the world today. And, you know, people are facing things today that they've never faced. This generation, it's so hard for this generation. It's untrue. It's no more difficult for this generation than it was for mine. No more, it was no more difficult for my generation than it was for the one before me. The challenges change, but they're not any different. It's not any different. The challenge looks different. It has a different face. But the temptations are no greater now than they were when they were crossing the Red Sea. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? So this is what I know. If I can accept that, I can accept this, that the same Christ that was the rock that followed after them is the same Christ that is the rock that's following after you. So no matter, even if the challenge has changed, the face is different, what you're going through is different in this generation than the one before it. It is the same Christ following after you, providing a way through it. The temptation, there is an answer for every temptation, and that is the rock who is Christ following after you. Just wanted to insert that this morning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed so he doesn't fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. For God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. What does that mean? I speak to as as to sensible people. That means I'm talking to people who you know, just like I am this morning. I am speaking to people under the sound of my voice today, whether present in this room or you're watching online. I'm speaking to people today under the sound of my voice that are sensible. That means that in your spirit, you make sense of all the things that are good and all the things that are evil around you. No one on this planet, no one breathing air is is incapable of knowing right from wrong. No one breathing air is incapable of knowing righteous from unrighteous. It is an eight in us. It is an eight, not innate. It is an eight in us. It is, he breathed into us the Spirit of God. When he breathed life into us, the pneuma of God filled our lungs, filled our body, filled us with a passion to understand rightness from wrongness and to begin to move towards those things that were right for him. All the while, there's an enemy that's trying to draw our attention to what is evil. And he says, I'm speaking to sensible people, no one under the sound of my voice, Paul says. All of you Corinthians today, you know what I'm saying to you. Even if you're indulging in evil, you know you shouldn't be because you know what's right and you know what is wrong. He says then, he says, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not, and this is what I want to focus on. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, 
they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Hear me in this house. No matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter how watered down there is, I'm telling you, there is a line drawn. The Father has drawn a line. This is righteous and this is not. Don't try to straddle the line. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? I know there's an argument today because people say, and especially uh, this current generation, there's an argument. It's not just this current, it's every generation that comes up makes the same argument different way, but they make this argument. The world's changing, so these things should be acceptable. We should be able to do this, and we should be able to participate in that, and how are we going to do this if we don't go there, and so on and so forth. All the while, the Father's saying, you worry about things that are outside of your responsibility. If it was important for those people that you think you're reaching by going where you shouldn't be, if it was important for them to be among, around me and present in me, I will get them there. You don't need to go into darkness to bring them into the light. He said, I want to help you understand something today. I've shared this story many times before. I'm going to share it again this morning. I'm going to do this very quickly because I want to move along. But when I was a, a new youth pastor back a long time ago, and I was a new youth minister and I was doing this uh, youth ministry in Panama City Beach, and, and we were there, and we were doing some, uh, it was a, con- a youth thing, a youth uh, event, and we were there, and one of the leaders said, this is what we're going to do, we're going to go out here to the beach today, and we're all going to join arms, we're going to link our arms together, and we're going to walk down the beach, there's a lot of people out there, spring break, there's a lot of people out there on the beach that don't know God, man, they're wearing bikinis, some of them are wearing nothing, some of them are drinking, well, you know, don't know what they're drinking, eating, or, but this is what we're going to do, because we're holy. So what we're going to do, all of us holy folks, we're going to link our arms together. Now, they never considered the fact that half of the youth group wanted to be out there in a bikini. (laughs) Drinking whatever they were drinking. Smoking whatever they were smoking. Never considered that. But we're holy, bless God. We're going to link arms and we're going to walk down there and we're going to, whoever we run into, when we touch with this chain, whoever we bump into, we're we're going to talk to them about Jesus Christ. We're going to lead them to Christ. And I told my youth group, I said, we ain't doing that. Because we're not going to make idiots out of ourselves. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. And we're not doing that because what's going to happen, somebody's going to take a beer bottle and crack it over your head in the name of Jesus. In the name of your God. Somebody's going to flash you in her bikini. Just to get under your skin. Find out if Jesus likes what she likes. Can I just be real this morning? And I said, we're not doing that. But what we will do is we will go on about our business and we'll do the things that we're supposed to do. And as he brings them to us or he positions us in such a way that we find ourselves among them by the anointing and by because he's directed our paths, we will minister to them then. Not one person that they met on that beach that day. They never brought anybody to Christ. They were the laughing stock. They were a joke. The whole event was humiliating. Made the church look like exactly what the church has become to so many because they don't understand. And you you might be asking, what does this have to do with communion? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. What we do in the name of Christianity, what we do in the name of knowing God, what we do in the name of knowing Jesus Christ, 
What the church does in the name of knowing Him, we do through these principles and these ideas of what we've done for so long, and yet it doesn't really do these... i got to ask this, do the things that we continue to do over and over and over again do anything to get us any closer to the Father? Or are we simply hamsters on a wheel that keep spinning this thing hoping for a different result tomorrow when we know that the red bar is going to make its all, way all the way around and our feet are going to touch it again? Anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? So what Paul is saying to them, and I address this because it was important when he said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And then he said, I speak as to sensible people, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? No one in the Bible took communion like we're doing today. Never happened. Never happen. See, I'll tell you why. I'm going to get there. But I need you to understand that this never happened. See, to have faith in Christ and to be able to distinguish between the bread of heaven and the bread of demons, the drink of heaven and the drink of demons, the table of the Lord, the table of demons, to be able to distinguish between that requires something more than simply a quick five-minute Eucharist or a quick five-minute communion or a quick five-minute moment where we come and someone prays over this little cup that we're going to drink and and this little cracker that we're going to eat that's going to dry our mouth. And in truth, I couldn't tell you in all the times that... And and, and just walk with me for a moment before I get to John chapter 6. In truth, I couldn't tell you how many times I've taken communion in my life and I look out and I see people that kids are laughing and people are looking at one another and they're making faces because it's bitter, it's it's sour and and they're they're making little faces and, and missing the moment of what their true value, what's really happening with this cup and what's really happening with this bread. I want to talk about that in John 6 today. Flesh and blood. And what it really meant, what Paul was really speaking to when he said what's necessary. If you want to know God, you really want to know God, there's a requirement. You need to participate in his flesh and you need to participate in his blood. It gets really nasty. It gets really gory because Jesus, he doesn't cut any corners. He doesn't cut any slack. He He doesn't make it light. When he talks about communion, he really makes it plain. And he does it this way in John chapter 6. Let's go talk. Let's see what the bread of heaven is. In John chapter 6, beginning with verse 33, it reads like this. Jesus is saying to those that were gathered that day, he said, for the bread of heaven, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, those who were gathered, the Jews, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. I'm going to read that, those two verses again. He said, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Communion did not start at the Last Supper. In the beginning of time, communion started the moment Adam was. See, I'll read 35 in a moment. But there's this idea in the world today that if I can just get to church and take communion, everything will be better. Because the Eucharist, communion, this that we do that we call communion, has become a substitute for what true communion really is. 
In verse 35, Jesus said to them, he said to the Jews that were gathered, he said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And we skip down because they're going to him and they say, what are you talking about? We know your daddy. We know where you came from. We know who you are. How's all? And this is what happens between verse 36 and 52 and just going through all this argument that is taking place between the Jews challenging what he's saying. And then in verse 53, it picks up and Jesus answers them and he says, following their arguments, that they know his daddy and how could he be the bread of heaven? Jesus says to them, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I've heard every argument that you've made. I've heard you discuss for the last however many, 21 verses. You've been telling me for the last hour and a half all the reasons why I can't be the bread of heaven. So clearly you haven't heard me well, so I'm just going to make this really plain for you. I really want to help you understand what true communion is. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink His blood, you're dead. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You are not living. You might be breathing. You might have a heartbeat. But breathing in a heartbeat is not a sign of life. He said in verse 54, he said, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That's getting deep. That's another level. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and they died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Now, if Jesus Christ were to walk in here to this platform today, this pulpit today, if he walked through those back doors right now and he walked up on this pulpit and I had not said any of this and he said, now, in our mind, since we don't know what Jesus looks like, I understand artists do, painters do all, painters know what Jesus looked like. If you want to know what he looked like, ask a painter or a Catholic, they'll tell you. But if Jesus walked in here and he stood up on this pulpit and he opened his mouth and he said, if you want to know me and you want to have eternal life, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody, most everybody in this room, even if we knew it was Christ, would be challenged by that. In fact, if you read down a couple scriptures following that in verse 60, many, it says many of the disciples walked with him no more. This saying is too hard for us. And many of them walked with him no more even though they had been walking with him, even though they knew him. Because what he was saying to them was, don't get caught up in this Last Supper thing. Don't get caught up in this moment where somehow communion has become about the death and the resurrection when communion is not about the death and the resurrection. It is about the journey you're taking with me. He instituted the relationship. He instituted the bread and the wine before he died on a cross and before he, was, he rose from the dead. What is the point today? The point is this. What we've done in the church with so many things, what we've done in the kingdom of God, is we have dumbed down. We have simplified things that the Father wants to do on a grand scale because we don't have time for it. 
We say, let's dumb this thing down. We don't have time for what communion really is. What does the Bible, by the way, what does Scripture in Luke, what does the Scripture refer to last communion as? Or communion as? The last, what is it, Tim? The last supper. The last supper. So if I'm going to take everything that I've talked about today, and I hope you're following along with me, and I hope you're taking notes this morning. If I'm going to take this today, everything that I've said so far, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. I can tell you, drinking this cup and eating this cracker has nothing to do with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's an outward statement of something we're doing on the inside, but it's not even a good example of that. Because when he gave communion, when he offered communion, he didn't do it in a five-minute routine. He did it over dinner. This will be the last time we will ever receive communion like this. Going forward, communion is going to be what communion is, and that is going to be over supper. It's not going to be about a little cup with grape juice. And I'm telling you today, if you're watching online, I want you to prepare now. I want you to get something in your house. I want you to receive communion with us today. And whether it's a I don't care if it's water. I don't care if it's wine. I don't care if it's grape juice, lemonade, tea. It doesn't matter. But you get you something. Get you a piece of bread. Get you something to eat. I don't care what it is. It could be part of a Snickers bar. It's irrelevant. But get you something that you can eat and drink with us today. Has nothing to do with the power of God, what we're putting in our mouth today. I can tell you, Yahweh doesn't even know what an oyster cracker is. What he does know is the heart of man. And what he does know is how to interpret whether or not we really want to know him. What he does know is how far are we really willing to go. And see, communion, this, this thing that we do, the way we do it, and we honor it. But the way we go about this thing and the way that we've done it for so long is to simply come up here and drink from that little cup and eat a little piece of cracker. It's deeper than that. He said, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no part in me. Paul said to the Corinthians as he gathered, he said, I want to tell you what you have to do. You have to learn to participate in the flesh of Christ. And you have to learn to participate in the blood of Christ. We do not participate in the flesh of Christ and participate in that blood by simply drinking something down. Participation means that's the life I'm going to live. There is a life I'm choosing to live that is in fullness participating in the life of who Christ is. I am go- my whole, everything that I do, it's not going to be about this simplified moment. And see, again, I want to make this point. The church world, we've dumbed it down so much. We've so simplified so many things that we do, even coming to church on Sunday morning. We make Sunday morning the monumental moment. Everybody needs to gather on Sunday morning, and I hope you do, and I hope you will, and I hope you continue to do so. But we make it all about Sunday morning, and the Father the whole time is saying, you're dumbing this thing down. Life with me is more than Sunday morning. How about Monday living? Tuesday living, Wednesday living, Thursday living, Friday living, Saturday living. Life with me is more than the time that you come together and you're all together. How about when you're driving down the road and you're all alone? That's life with me. That, what you're doing when you're driving down the road and you're alone or on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock and you're going off somewhere, that's what your life is. I'm asking you to demonstrate, are you participating in me when it's late? When all the devil birds are out? Are you participating with me when it's early? Are you eating my flesh? Are you drinking my blood? Through the temptation, 
When temptation comes upon you, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really, I hope I'm pushing people this morning, but when t- temptation comes upon you and you're tempted to go here or go there and to compromise this or to compromise that, I want to tell you, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If the only thing that you can do is find a way to get away from that temptation, move off in a corner and say, Father, help me right now. Give me, I'm going to eat your flesh. I'm having communion right now. I don't have a cup of juice and I don't have a piece of bread. But I have you because the rock who is Christ is following after me. I have you. Communion isn't about what we do when we gather. This isn't even communion. This is drinking some juice and eating a cracker. Communion's what you did when you got up this morning. Communion's what you're going to be doing when you walk out of here this afternoon. Communion is going to be what you're doing tomorrow morning in the middle of the day. Communion, I'll tell you where real communion is. You want to know where you commune to? It's going to be tomorrow when you don't get the promotion you were promised. Where, what are you communing with then? Is anybody hearing me? Communion's going to be this Thursday when you go in or Friday when you get your paycheck and somehow you've been shorted something. Communion's going to be when you're checking somebody out at Publix and they're in your line and you run the cash register and they come up and they're rude and they're ugly and they're saying all kinds of evil things to you. Who are you communing with then? Man, I'll tell you what I wanted to say. (laughs) I was about to say, you can go to Albertsons. Is there, are there Albertsons anymore? <laughs> South Carolina. Yeah, go to South Carolina. See, the danger of what we're doing this morning is it's going to make some people, if we were to continue to do it this way, it's, it makes some people feel like this is the moment I'm holy. This is the moment I have no choice but to be holy. But when we change our perspective and we realize communion is way more, communion is we're going to sit down together in the company of God. Sometimes I'm going to be sitting alone in the company of God, in the company of Holy Spirit, in the company of Christ. That's communion. The best this will ever be is to say this is what I do all the time. But even this doesn't do it well. That's why going forward, every time we have what we're going to, what we will call, I don't know what we'll call it. We're going to, we're not going to, certainly not going to call it the last supper. I promise you that. (laughs) But going forward, when we break bread together, when we participate together as one, we're going to do it over a meal. We're going to tear down every one of these chairs. We're going to set up tables. We're going to do it over a meal. We're going to cook for one another. We're going to serve one another. We're going to have barbecued chicken. That's way better than an oyster cracker. I'm going to smoke a brisket for 26 hours. That's right. I'm going to make my mom's cheesecake. It won, you know, a couple years ago in the fall festival. So I say all that because I don't want you to make light of what we're doing today. I don't want you to blow by it like, Phew, I just learned that this isn't even important. Now, it's not, hopefully you didn't learn that. Just how we do it, we're not dumbing it down anymore. How is it possible to simplify? How is it possible to make small the great things of God? 
How do we ever come to a place where we make tiny the magnificence of a Savior? How is it that we can put into a few minutes, a few moments of eating and drinking and somehow capture all that Christ did so that we could know Him? Is anybody hearing me this morning? So in these scriptures that we read in John chapter 6, he hammers home this message. Christ hammers home this, hammers home this message. It's about me. This isn't even about you. It says when you have communion, when we are joining together, when we are sitting together, it's about me. And I'm bigger than the five minutes you give me on Sunday morning. <laughs> he said I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than the ten minutes that you give me every day. When you accidentally think about me because you saw some church bulletin board driving down the road. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I got to think about God today. I hope what my words are doing today is provoking us to recognize that in us, and there's none of us that are so good at being a son and daughter that there's no room for improvement. There's none of us anywhere that can say, I'm his favorite. Because I do so many things right. That's why I'm going to be at his right hand. And Jesus said, first you'll be last. Last shall be first. He said, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will have life. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I taught this message some time ago, this scripture some time, years, a long time ago, about blood deep. It's titled Blood Deep. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back in the archives on YouTube and listen to it. But it was a message titled Blood Deep. And what that meant is the flesh and the blood represent something very different. The flesh represents that that is superficial. It represents this, the, the more visible things of God. That, that's where most people walk. Most people walk in a flesh relationship with Him. Most Christians walk in this place where it is everything's face value. They have no problem with a five-minute exchange of bread and wine because, hey, it's all good. But then there's those people who are blood deep. They drink his blood. Some people drink, eat the flesh, and they're happy with that. But then there's those who say, that's not enough. I want the, I want the blood. I want all of it. And that's why he, he would say to the disciples over and over again, he would question them, and he'd say, where's your faith? How long have you been walking with me? And you don't know this. Because you function at a flesh level. But I need you to get to a blood level. I need you to get blood deep with me. I need you to dive in, and I need you to... Hunger, I need you to ask, I need you to talk, I need you to inquire of me. Let me do miracles, signs and wonders in you. And if you will allow that, I can change everything about who you are. I can grow you into something that you never even imagined you could be.